Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 154, where in a moment we chat how much financial advice will cost. That's in just a sec, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes today, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney, and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. Last time we discussed pound cost averaging. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. Then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis and here's the start of our show. Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Okay, the the subject this week is how much will financial advice cost? And I suppose one of the questions we need to ask before that is what exactly would you take financial advice for? So if it's a restaurant full and each financial service and offer is a dish, could you build up a a decent menu of services available there? Yeah, it's funny you you mentioned in a menu of services because some financial advisor firms, they'll have certain regulatory documents that they'll hand out and it's almost a bit like a a kind of menu. Most firms are going to have things like a, a terms of business document. Some have got like almost like a costs and, and disclosure document. And they're quite good because that'll outline the, the sort of services they offer, the, the kind of financial planning process, and also the costs of that sort of service as well. So it's, it's almost like a, a kind of menu of, of services. But what you'll find, you're asking like who would take financial advice. There's like financial advice is something that a lot of people could probably do with, but just a few examples of, of kind of maybe situations. If, if someone's got anything, sort of any big life-changing events are often a trigger or a catalyst to, to seek financial advice. So maybe somebody looking to, to buy a home, they're going to take out a mortgage perhaps. If somebody's having kids, they'll want to do some planning around that. Or even thinking about kids investing, getting divorced, changing careers, so many different reasons why people would take financial advice. They're maybe looking to reduce their tax bill. They maybe had a lump sum from an inheritance or redundancy payout. So so many kind of reasons why people would, would look at taking financial advice. And some, some financial advice firms out there, they will offer a free initial review or they might have the meet, first meeting at the, the firm's expense. But it's important to note that not all financial advice firms will do that as well. And also I mentioned about mortgages. You'll find some financial advice firms will just tend to stick more to investments and pensions or wealth management, financial planning. Some won't do mortgages as well. Okay. Uh, Presumably each service they do offer varies in cost. Yeah. Firms will generally tend to have like an advice process and it'll look kind of in different areas. An initial conversation with an advisor, that'll give them a good idea of the areas that you kind of need help with and what they can help with. And then based on that, they can then give you a good idea as to what the costs of of doing that would would be. To to give you a couple of examples, if someone was looking to invest, say, £20,000 into an ISA for this year's ice allowance, the cost of that's going to be an awful lot less than, say, somebody that had £2 million and they were wanting to do some maybe complex estate planning or inheritance tax planning. So a lot of the costs will depend what it is that you're actually looking to do. And are you told in advance how much it'll cost in the same way that you could get a quote for a, a, you know, a job from a, a tradesperson? 
Yeah, financial advisors and clients now, they've got to agree up front how much okay. you're going to be charged for whatever services. And, and they also agree how that payment's going to be made as well. So it's not like maybe in the past where or there, there should the situation shouldn't arise where somebody's carried out a certain amount of work and then you get a bill that you think, oh, this was never agreed. It all has to be agreed up front with exactly what the costs and charges are going to be. Because that's that's a fear, isn't it, for a lot of people is I would take financial advice, but I'm frightened how much it's going to cost. I mean, that that yeah. is really what we're addressing today. Yeah, You say that you agree the price up front um, and also how payment is taken. So that could be paid up front, but it could also be taken after a service has been conducted or in increments or uh, you, you sort something yeah, like that out. It, it's probably a, probably a good time to, to actually look at some of the ways that people can pay for financial advice. So there's a few different ways. The, the first one is that the, the fee can be based on a proportion of the money that you want to invest. The second one is a fixed fee, which is, again, agreed up front for, for a set amount. Or you can get some financial advisors that will charge hourly fees. Now, some will offer a combination of all these different options. Some might just think, well, we can offer this or, or that. Different firms will have different charging structures. But one thing with financial advice, it can be either transactional or you'll get some people that will set up and pay for financial advice on an ongoing basis. So that'll have a, a bearing on things as well. I'd, I'd probably say that the way that most financial advisors tend to charge tends to be that they, they'll take a percentage of the amount that somebody's investing. Now, according to the FCA, that's the Financial Conduct Authority, the regulator, the average for this is 2.4% of the amount invested for initial advice and 0.8% a year for ongoing advice. I have read articles that state the figures are, are higher than that, but um, that's the figures that were supplied by the, the financial regulator. Now, where they get their figures is we financial advisory firms have got to do reporting to them about the sort of fees and charges. So that should be fairly kind of accurate there. I, I know firms that charge maybe a 1% initial fee and then 1% a year for the ongoing advice and servicing. You'll, you'll get other firms that will charge up to maybe 3% initial and then maybe uh, rare probably for them to charge half a percent. But I think there yeah. are still firms charging that. We tend to charge 0.75% per annum for those on the ongoing servicing. If, if someone opts for that kind of fees, they're usually deducted by the product provider and paid to the advice firm. So at least one thing is you don't have to physically pay the fee to that company. Um, they can usually be deducted from the, the products. Fixed fees, they're usually paid by the client directly to the advisory firm. This can be for the initial advice, but can also be for the, the ongoing fees as well. We've had clients pay sort of fixed fees by stand and order previously, so that's one way that, that people can set that up if it's for like the ongoing advice. Fixed fees, they, they can also sometimes be deducted from the providers, depending if the providers have got the, the facility to do so. And then I mentioned about hourly fees as well. The, the hourly fees can range, according to the Money Advice Service or Money Helper, hourly fees can range from £75 an hour to £350 an hour, with the average tending to be around about £200 per hour. And again, if someone's paying on an hourly rate, they would usually get invoiced for, for that fee, is what would usually happen there. Well, the thing, though, about taking financial advice is, Phil, if it's good advice in, in this kind of world, you could quite often end up with it paying for itself. 
Yeah, definitely. Over the years, research has produced some interesting findings, and that's kind of highlighted the benefits of taking financial advice when you're making major financial decisions. And the, the results show that those who take financial advice, they're likely to accumulate more wealth supported by increased savings and investing in equity assets, while those in retirement are likely to have more income, particularly at older ages. There was a study by an investment firm called Vanguard. So they they had a, a financial advice study which looked into the benefits of people taking financial advice. And, and according to this study, it was done last year, and according to that, on average, people who are taking financial advice are, it says, between 3% and 4.4% more per annum in net returns better off. So that is quite a big difference. Mm. So, I mean, according to that study, it is definitely more than, than paying for itself. And the, the reason for this is through a combination of, sort of financial planning, preventing mistakes, sort of rebalancing portfolios, tax advice. So there's a lot of areas that a financial advisor and financial planner can can help with. And evidence also suggests that fostering an ongoing relationship with an advisor also leads to, to better outcomes as well. So th- there's been quite a number of these studies done over the years that kind of show the, the f- financial benefits of, of financial advice. But the, the other benefit as well is the peace of mind that it, it gives you. That, that would be the other thing. Absolutely. Here's one of these questions that people are frightened to ask. It's because the, the thing that comes from a place of if you have to ask, then then you don't have enough. But do you have to have a certain amount of money that you're dealing with before you can get financial advice? You know, some financial advisor firms, they will have a minimum entry level for clients that's looking to engage their services. I, I've seen some clients come to our firm because they maybe initially went somewhere else there was one chap not long ago, he had around about 400,000 in assets, but he'd went somewhere else and that firm had had a minimum of 500,000. So they would, just wouldn't look at him at all, yeah. which is quite incredible, I thought. But I, I've seen other firms that they say, right, you've got to have a minimum of 100,000 of investable assets. Some firms, it's maybe 250,000. It all depends on each individual firm, and I guess who they're seeing as their their kind of target market. I know a lot of financial advisors want to deal with people with high net worth. They've got a lot of investable wealth, a lot of earned income coming in. But you will have, there are a number of firms out there that don't have any minimums. Good place to look if you're looking for a financial advisor. There's a website called unbiased.co.uk. So it's a, a website where you can search independent financial advisors. You can search them by area, by wealth value. I mean, if, if you've got someone looking to start a regular premium savings, £100 a month or whatever it is, there will be firms out there that will be able to help with that. And and likes of our firm, the reason we're happy to take on people in that sort of situation is that we know that they'll refer us to others if we do a good job for them. And we know that over time, they're likely to build up their wealth as well. So that that's why we've got no minimum at, at my business. But a lot of firms do have a minimum, so that is worth just checking out. And according to the Financial Conduct Authority, the average advised client in the UK has over £150,000 of assets under advice. But like I say, there are firms out there that will take on people that, that's got a lot less than that. Is there a way, you mentioned there that you can have a look at unbiased.com. Is there a way that, does that allow you to browse fees and sort of compare financial advisors for their services, Phil? 
doesn't it'll let you it will list like various firms where they are geographically it will tell you about the different services but on there doesn't really mention anything about costs and you know comparing financial advisor costs is quite a difficult thing to do when i was doing some research for the show this morning i was having a look on a few advisor websites and it's very difficult to see what firms will, will charge and in the past, you would find that many firms would have things like their terms of business documents and initial costs and disclosure documents. They used to often be readily available on their websites, but very few firms do that these days. It can be difficult to compare costs as well, but it's good to speak to a few firms to get an idea of what they would cost and, and also to see in what ways they can help as well. And one thing I would say to people is remember the cheapest isn't always necessarily going to be the best way to, to go. But what I say to people is have a look at things like online reviews, things like company profiles online. That'll kind of check out the, the sort of firms. Some some financial advisory firms aren't really looking to take on much more new business. You, you tend to find a, a lot of advice firms tend to be run by people a bit older, thinking about retiring, they're happy just servicing their existing clients. So not all financial advisors will even take on new clients. So worth, worth doing a bit of due diligence online. And like I say, no harm in speaking to two or three different firms just to get an idea what they're saying, how much they're going to cost. And, and that way, at least you can compare the different services that's out there. You mentioned this earlier, you touched on it. I just wanted to go back over it slightly. Does financial advice always cost the client or is it sometimes free or or sourced from somewhere else? So free to the client as such. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned mortgages earlier. So sometimes you'll see some mortgage brokers claiming that they offer free advice. And the same can sometimes be said of those that's advising on protection products such as life insurance and critical illness cover. Now, mortgage and protection providers, they would pay a commission for setting up that sort of thing. So Technically, the advice there isn't really free because the firms are getting paid for, for what they're doing. But when it comes to things like investments and pensions and like financial advice, there was rules that came in a number of years ago where investment and pension providers had to stop paying a commission to advisors. So this means that financial advice is now paid by a fee as opposed to a commission. You still get some financial advisors who say that their service is free. And I, I had an example not long ago, a, a chap that I know quite well, he uses another firm and he says, he goes, oh, the, the advisor, they, or in fact, there was the firm owner phoned him up and he said, he goes, oh, um, he's like, oh, it's time to review all your different investments and pensions. So the chap I know said to me, he's like, how, how much is this going to cost? Oh, no, it's free. You didn't pay anything. But what, what the guy wasn't really making clear is that 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 one was slightly different because he works for a, a tied company. So they're kind of taking off maybe the product charges, but it should all be very transparent where people can see exactly what fees they're paying to the provider, what fees they're paying to say like fund managers, the advisors. And it, like you will get financial advisors that may do a free initial review. However, you're not going to get any that's actually going to give you ongoing advice for free. And if if they're kind of trying to say that it is, then the chances are it'll be hidden in the costs somewhere. Mm. But where, where you can go for not so much free advice, but free guidance, you've got places such as Money Helper, Citizens Advice Bureau in Scotland, it's the, the CAB Scotland that you've got there. Pension-wise is another one. So there are places 
that offer kind of like free resources and and they call it guidance as opposed to, to advice. Mm. But um, that that's a couple of things that you've got there. There are some ways that you can reduce your financial advisor charges. And I mentioned on a, a recent show about the, it's called the, the pension advice allowance. And that actually allows you to withdraw up to £500 from your pension savings on three separate occasions to help with financial advice costs. And there are some other ways as well. Sometimes you can use things like your if, if you've got your own business, you might say, right, I'll, I'll use the business to pay for the advice. So and that saves you maybe a bit in tax. So there, there are ways that financial advisors can kind of guide you in, as to how they can reduce the, the cost of their service as well. Presumably the, the benefits of, of taking financial advice are, are sometimes obvious, Phil, in that you make money. But take us through the, the sort of other and, and key benefits of taking financial advice. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier about the, the sort of percentages that that research had shown that people are better off financially, but financial advisors are there to help you sort of fulfil your financial goals try and help reduce your tax bill if if they can, uh, make use of all your allowances, pensions, ISAs, that sort of thing. Um, they're, they're there to help you retire comfortably and, and have the sort of retirement that, that you want. They're there to stop you having money worries about the future as well. Also there to give you peace of mind. And I, I mentioned financial advice can be either transactional or maybe someone will ask for advice on a certain situation. But I think taking ongoing ad- financial advice is always key. And like I, I know my company, we we have the majority of our clients go for the the ongoing financial advice service. And the sort of things that we do for that is we'll, we'll review their financial objectives and priorities regularly, review their risk profile and any new factors which might influence their their kind of attitude to risk, capacity for loss, and and time scales. We'll review the the performance of the client's investment portfolio, review the current asset allocation of their portfolio, do any rebalancing of the portfolio in line with their attitude to risk, identify any of the funds that might need switching, also look at things like legislative changes affecting their investments. We can also look at family succession planning if, if that's appropriate. And then if clients are in drawdown, which is when they're maybe taking a, a retirement income from their, their pension pot, we can also make sure that that income levels are reviewed and kind of see how that is. So there, there's quite a lot that we do for our ongoing service. I know there's still some financial advisors out there that do ongoing servicing, but maybe don't do an awful mm. lot for it. So if if you don't feel that that ongoing advice is value for money, again, there's nothing to stop you shopping around speaking to other financial advisors or you can actually switch off that charges at any time as well. So that, that's an important thing to note as well. This might sound a little bit twee, Phil, but I always think a financial advisor is the sort of person that if you're with them for life, they can help you they can help your dreams come true. Genuinely. I mean, if you if Definitely. you've got, you got the money there, that's that is the sort of picture that they can paint. If you if you're sort of in a, a you know an ongoing relationship with them from the outset, then they can help you build your wealth and, and, and take you through your life. Yeah. I was watching, I think it was Family Fortunes last night. I never watch TV very often <laughs> at all, but it was on and I was just watching it. And one of the questions that came up was about least trusted professions. And straight away I said to Ruth, I was like, financial advisors would bounce on there or insurance <laughs> brokers or something. The financial advisors were, but they were actually really quite low down the list. 
I think the top answer was politicians, so that probably didn't come as a surprise. You had things like car salesmen. That was the sort of ones that was coming up there. I think solicitors was also mentioned. But, you know, I think one good thing, with all the changes that came in a number of years ago regarding commissions and fees, it did, and and also exams. I mean, there, there was a lot more exams that financial advisors had to do and that was quite good because it did weed out quite a lot of the ones mm. that weren't maybe quite as well they say honest but the ones that were more in it for themselves as opposed to for their clients benefit and um so that, that was quite interesting watching that last night hmm. no absolutely and uh, you know the, the the thing with any relationship whether it's with a financial advisor or anybody else trust is 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 priceless if you have that with uh with your advisor is there ever a time when Taking financial advice is a bad thing, Phil. I mean, for instance, we mentioned before the amount of scams that exist now. So you have to be certain the financial advisor that you're asking is above board. How do you make certain of that? And are there any other disadvantages that we, we should watch out for as well? Yeah, you definitely have to be careful with, with scams and scammers. One good thing is that the, the Financial Conduct Authority, the regulator, their website has a list of all the authorised financial advisors on there. And you can also get firms' contact details as well. So if you're not sure about anything, go on there, check out the details. One thing that's important to note is financial advisors won't call cold call people. So if you do get any cold calls out the blue, I'd, I'd be very wary of that. I've had it myself. People phone up. You, you tend to find it's maybe call centres abroad. They're maybe then trying to sell leads to financial advice firms or whoever, but um, they'll often be like, oh, have you reviewed your pension or we're working under an approved government scheme where we can review this or look at that. And you've got to be very wary of, of that sort of things. And I mean, scammers can often clone websites and they'll often pretend to be people that they're not. I mean, even the FCA, their website got cloned at one point, although <laughs> they got that taken down really quite quickly. So, you do. You've got to kind of be careful of all these things as well. Okay. Now, as we always do, Phil, on your podcast, take a look at how our subject matter has affected your own life, both professionally and personally. So what do you want to focus on from today's show? How much will financial advice cost? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in financial services for many years now. I've seen a whole host of charging structures over the years. One thing that I would say is that things are a lot better for clients these days than on the old commission days. I mean, financial advisors would often get paid up to about 7% commission, which is more than double what they would be getting for for anything these days. Now, some people used to think, oh, but that's great. The the commission's coming from the company, but they're paying for that indirectly because the product charges would then be a lot higher. And that's why sometimes if you've got old investment bonds or policies that were taken out years ago, maybe old pensions, Quite a lot of these, the charges can actually be a lot higher than what you can get on policies today. One of the girls in the office the other day was reviewing an old Royal London policy, and they were saying that the charges on that were really hefty. Now, Royal London's new contracts, the charges on them are are pretty good. So I think what she was looking at doing was moving out the old-style contract into a new-style one, adding on the ongoing financial advice fee. The client was still better off than, than what they had been in previously. Plus, she's reviewing all the funds and attitude to risk and all that kind of stuff as well. And I mean, go back to the old commission days. I mean, one of the, the reasons that a lot of endowment policies didn't do so well was because of the high commissions advisors were taking on the, the policies as well. And jeepers, I remember one policy 
for a couple in Aberdeen that I looked at. When it had been set up, there was a non-investment period at the start. I kind of remember if it was 12 or 18 months, but basically every premium that they made for the first year, first year and a half, went to the advisor to fund the commission that they were getting. So it was just awful. And they didn't know that. It hadn't been properly explained to them. And if it had, there's no way they would have went for, for that at the time. Well, also on the podcast, a regular bit that we delve into is your quote of the week. Now, being a fan, as you are, of influential and uh, motivational sayings and quotes, what do you have for this week? And our, our topic of how much will financial advice cost? Another Warren Buffett quote this week. I think we use him probably more than anybody <laughs> else when we're looking for the, the quotes. Asking for financial advice from a financial planner is like asking a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if that's how you prefer things. Let's get on to this week's contact details in just a moment. I'll give it to you after this. This first one's from Alec who says, Hi, Phil. Not being morbid, morbid, but my wife and I have reached an age where we want the peace of mind knowing that when we die, the financial aspect of that is made as easy on our kids as possible. Is there a recommended checklist with tasks you can tick off as you go? Where's the best place to start? And I'd say the first thing to do is make sure that you've looked at wills and, and a continuing power of attorney. They're quite important things that are often overlooked. Another thing worth doing is, is asking for a copy. We've got what's called the personal finance record document. And this can actually be great because you can detail everything in there that you have. And that also gives you an idea of all the things that you maybe have to sort out. But it's quite good because it also mentions about what's your sort of funeral plans, any special bequests that you want to make. That document is, is really good. So it's called the, the Personal Finance Record Document. You can get that for free. If you drop me an email, it's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk and that would probably be a pretty good starting place for, for them there. Next up, here's one from Andrew in Inverness who asks, Hi Phil, recently I had an accident at work, which means I'm going to be off indefinitely while I recover. I'm self-employed, but have income support protection. It doesn't kick in until a certain number of days have been clocked up and then it pays a certain amount. Typically, I can't find the paperwork for it and I set it up that long ago and then forgot about it. I can't remember whether or not it pays out for only a fixed amount of time. It makes sense there would be a fixed duration to the policy, but is there an average for that before it cuts off? It really will depend on the terms and conditions of the policy that he's taken out. Because some, some policies will pay out for a set period, so they might pay out for a year or two years. But then you get other ones that will keep paying out right until you go back to work or reach a certain age or retire, for example. So it's quite a difficult one to, to answer because there, there's so many different types of policy out there. It could be could be either or. If you don't have the documentation, let's say you've lost it down the back of the couch, is there a way that you can still find out anything about the, the contract that you have if you if you know some details about, it, like, say, for instance, who you took the, the policy out with? Yeah, if, if you knew who set it up, you could go back to them to, to try and get some information. Okay. Or if you knew which provider it was, that would be a good thing to go back to them and say, look, I've got this policy. It, it's best to contact them as soon as possible if you are making a claim as well, just so that they can get the ball rolling and with that and make sure that there isn't any delays to, to what you get. But they, if you know who the provider is, they'd be able to, to find all that information quite easily. Okay. We'd just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics now and we may have touched on what you're interested in. 
I'm Tom Ellis. Thanks for joining us for episode 154 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too. Or why not email Phil a question you can answer on a future show? His address is Phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send me a question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's how you'd prefer it. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate, recommend us, and please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening.